Real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real, real phony gon' recognize, still, still recognize with. Like we always do with this time, I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the KYRP Radio Show, baby. I'm happy to be here this evening, and uh, it's a pleasure to bring nothing but the pain of the... the, the Welcome, everybody, to the KIRP Radio Show. 
Sorry about the technical difficulties. We got a lot going on with the weather out here, but we're going to let the Lord do his work while we do ours. I really appreciate you guys for rocking with us tonight, and I appreciate you coming from the show, coming to the show, and uh, listening to what we have going on this evening. It's a pleasure, folks. Another. bring you my good brother Lenny McAllister on the line who I who I took some some of his valuable time. This is a very busy man. Um let's get my brother Lenny on the show. Let's get this thing started. Brother Lenny, how are you? Child of God, how you doing today? Hey man, I'm beautiful. It, it's it's a beautiful evening. It's uh the weather's nice here in North Carolina and uh I don't I don't know if you're still in Tampa or not, but it's good where I am. Well I'm 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 back in the D C area. Um Shouting out to the Cackalack. Had an opportunity to talk to my uh, to my adopted family in Chicago, so I got a chance to talk to Shy Town again. Yeah. Raised a little bit of passion as I was talking about on Twitter just now, but uh, I <laughs> love the folks in Chicago and, and shouting out to the Cackalack as well. So, uh, well wishes to my to my peeps out in North Carolina. Listen, it, it, there's a lot going on, man. I, I usually beat around the bush, but first, let me. We're gonna get into this thing because there's a lot to talk about. But I just first, I want to say. Shout out to all the Twitter listeners out there. Shout out to everybody who supports the show. You guys are B.I.G. in my book, and I appreciate you guys for making us relevant, man. Five, over 5 million listeners, and, you know, we're doing big things right now, so I definitely support my team. I'm glad you guys support me, and uh, big up, big shouts out to you guys. And uh, I just want to get the ball rolling, Brother Lenny. And uh, I, what's going on in Chi-Town, man? I, I, I know that's your stomping grounds. They keep making the news over and over and over. I've got a lot of folks out there in the shot too, which I'm headed to very soon, as soon as we can confirm some dates, because there are a lot of things going on in Chicago that needs a lot of attention. And uh, right now, uh, one of the things that I've been talking about the last few days is this uh, this union strike with the teachers. What's what's, what's really going on in Chicago, brother? <laughs> Yeah, I set you up, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you know, I just got off the phone yelling down somebody that represents the teachers' unions. And, you know, yeah, when it rains, it pours for poor black children on the south and west sides of Chicago because this teachers' union strike that's impending will be a death sentence to probably about, at the rate that the clips are going, probably about 25 to 55 um, African-American youth. If you think about it, I mean, over three, about two fifty to three hundred have been have been killed in Chicago, and you're talking about probably scores upon scores more that have been injured one way or another. So let's yeah. say the strike goes on for for a month. I mean, we've seen we've seen as many as fifty and sixty shot in a weekend. That's right. You take, you take 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 a month or so and keep the teachers out, and tell me how people how many people are going to be shot when the weather is still warm and. Um, now kids are not in school. You know, what people don't understand about Chicago is when the weather breaks in Chicago around April, people on the north side look forward to baseball. People on the south side look forward to, to bullets flying. When right. when the summertime hits, people on the north side look forward to going downtown and going to Grand Park and riding their bikes and, and hitting the river. And people on the south side pray that it rains. Because <laughs> when it rains, at least, at, least, at least people will stay inside and then the violence won't be as hot. That's right. So wow. when you're dealing with that type of reality, what will a teacher strike do? What will what will kids that won't go to school and then kids that want to go to school all commingle in the middle of September with a lot of warm weather and too many people on the street in the third largest city in the United States? Kids are going to die. 
that's all there is to it. So I'm very peeved that the teachers' unions, regardless of what they're saying about, well, we want more resources for the kids, and that's an honorable goal, and I think some of what they're asking for is baked into that cake. I think it's there. At the same time, it is extremely disingenuous for them to say that part of this is not about trying to get an above-the-board, above the ahead-of-the-curve uh, raise at a point yeah. in time when you have economic austerity throughout the country, when the state of Illinois is in all kinds of economic uh, woes and turbulence. And I think that for them to look at that, and then on top of that, ignore the fact that, that the performances for the kids are low and try to oh, make yeah. it seem as though it's not, all, it's not all the teacher's fault. Well, it's got to be some of the teacher's fault. <laughs> and so to ask for a big raise and ask for continued concessions and to complain about going to a longer school day and to complain about the pay structure that they may have to deal with during these economic times and during this, this social crisis that we're seeing with, with CPS students, it, it's, it's deplorable. I mean, even the kids that I used to work with on the south side of Chicago, they graduate from CPS, they go to college, and you've got to prepare them for one to two years just to get them up to the level of a college freshman. By right, the time you do that, yeah, by the time you do that, their financial aid is run out, so they drop out of college. Mm. So to, to see these things and say that CPS is above board, they're not at fault. They, they want continued protections for their teachers, and they feel as though it's all about a matter of dumping more money into a, a broken public school system. It's absurd. It's obnoxious. And what I was saying on Twitter is any African-American union member to a, to a teacher's union that is more loyal to a teacher's union than they are to black America, how dare they come to me and tell me that I'm a sellout for being a black Republican when they are selling their people out and selling black children out to their teacher's union and protecting their constituencies within the teacher's union. That, Ooh. to me, if anything, is a sellout. If that, to me, is anything is a turncoat, that, to me, if anything, is, is condemning people to death. So don't come to me about Ooh. being a black Republican when I will put up for black people regardless of where I am, when you will stand behind the shield of a teacher's union and say you're standing for justice, knowing that part of what you're doing is standing for you and you're trying to get yourself a raise. Woo! Cool off, Brother Lenny. Hold up. Hold up. I'm sick you of seeing... No, over here, Pudgy, I'm, Pudgy, I'm sick of seeing our children die. I'm sick of seeing our children die. And I don't care what's going on. You go to the south and the west side of Chicago, black people are counting on two 70-something-year-old men to leave them out of this condition. But when it comes to the 30- and 40-somethings that have the money, that have the connections, and have the ability to turn this around, they're either too beholden to unions, too beholden to money, or too cowardly to do something about it. And my frustration is when you had me sitting there on the south side of Chicago and you had other people like me, such as you and others, willing to do this thing, the first thing people look at are political affiliation. Oh, you're a sellout because you're a black Republican. But I will, I will bleed for you, and I love you more than the unions and the other institutions that have been sitting there on the south and west sides of Chicago for decades now while black people bleed to death. Wow. That's a whole lot to say. If you really want to know how I feel this evening. No, you know what? I, I really do. See, this is where I was yesterday, um, um, Lenny, in, in the last two days. And I'm not far from it today because, you know, people are telling me I'm nuts because I don't understand that the conditions that they're asking for are legitimate. I can't. I have a list of things that these teachers are asking for. Now, I'm, I'm the first person to say I'm a capitalist, Brother Lenny, and I do believe that you should get paid for what you work for. Hey, I got no problem with that, no problem with what you do, no problem at all. And with I, don't even, I, I don't even mind. 
I don't even mind collective bargaining. If you want, I think that unions have a place in America because when you when you allow people to, to bargain as individuals in certain environments, they will get taken advantage of. So I don't even have a problem with collective bargaining per se. But I think that there needs to be a sensible sense of coming to the table from both sides. The Board of Education shouldn't abuse unions or teachers mm-hmm. just the same as the teachers' unions have to be sensible about the times that we live in. And they've right. got to be honest about the results that they've been producing as teachers with a 50% dropout rate. Part right. of it is the social conditions they got to deal with. Part of it is they are failing as teachers because we used to have ghettos 50, 60 years ago, and we used to also have black scientists, doctors, and innovators coming from those ghettos as well. What's changed? Part of what's changed is the teachers' unions have stopped focusing so much on teachers or so much on teaching and more on teachers. And wow. they cannot deny that that dynamic has not happened over the last 50 years. So, so what's the relationship with with Rahm and Rahm Emanuel, and uh, which is a whole nother story. I, I, but I, I'm not gonna go there because people are gonna say, "Oh, this is obvious. I knew you would talk about that." I'm not even gonna go there about Rahm Emanuel. We already know, okay? But what's the relationship with Rahm Emanuel and CPS that they can't straighten out these union? Why they can't? Why they can't come to some kind of uh, uh, agreement to not close these schools down? And and you know, with these teachers going on strike, what what is Rahm Emanuel doing over there? Well, part of what Rahm Emanuel is trying to put in place, which is commendable, is he's trying to put some things in the place that will give more CPS students a chance, longer school days. Heck, he was even kicking around the idea of 12-month-a-year school years. You know what? I know kids don't want that, but guess what? American kids are falling behind in the 21st century in a global economy. What are you going to do to catch them up? And then when you start talking about black CPS students, they're three generations behind in some regards. So how do you catch those Mm -hmm. kids up so that they can contribute in the 21st century? You've got to either accelerate the the learning, give them more opportunity to learn, and – or you got to put them at least in safe environments where they can focus back on learning rather than how many metal detectors do I have? You know, when June comes around, am I going to get shot at for two to three months? And where yeah. am I going to eat now that the school year ends? So wow. he's at least trying to put some of those things into place. I, there's been pushback from the teachers' unions in regards to some of those changes. At the same exact time, we need to find more equity in education. We need to make sure that the money that is coming from the Board of Education gets equally distributed so that black kids in one high school on the west side of Chicago aren't using computers from the 1980s, while there are other kids that are in certain schools that are working off of iPads. I mean, you see, you see disparities that are that great. I have, I have taught and, and, and mentored in some of these high schools. Mm-hmm. I have given little lecture classes, et cetera, on the south side of Chicago in some of these high schools. I know what these kids go through. I've, I've worked with these kids at the college level in some of the, the city colleges of Chicago as well as Chicago State. I know how they come to college, ill-prepared right. but willing to learn. So I know that they're dealing with situations that are not the, the teacher's fault, which goes back to the Board of Education. But I also know mm-hmm. that the teachers and the Board of Education need to start working with each other because they've both been failing these kids. And it, it's up to us as activists, as parents, as no, let's just be honest, as strong black Christian men to take a stand and have a backbone and have some stones and start not only talking about these issues but doing something about it. And it takes, and I've said this more than once, it takes black America to stop castigating black Republicans that are willing to do those things. 
Now, I know we're not supposed to be getting into partisanship right now, but it is truthful. You, we are not at a point in time in America where we could be pushing away 50% of our resources, quote-unquote, just because, or even 10% of our resources, quote-unquote, just because. Everybody has to have hands on tech. It's truly got to be about one big team. And unfortunately, it's not just the people that need to get involved that need to understand it. It's the folks that need to support those individuals that need to understand it as well. Wow, 619-638-8559. You rocking with Pudgy. I got special guest Lenny McAllister on here. You can find us both on uh, Twitter, at Lenny, L-E-N-N-Y, McAllister, M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R, and at N-C Pudgy. You guys know how to spell it. Um, at KRP Radio Show, too, as well, folks. Call in. We want to know how you feel about it. We will take some calls this afternoon. Um, Brother Lenny, in fairness, I guess in fairness, I just want to list off for some of my listeners in case, you know, some people are new to what's going on in Chicago. Um, I want to list the, I want to talk about the list of demands that the teachers union have and the things that they're asking for. Um, and, and it's one through eight. So bear with me just a second as I go through this. But uh, on September 4th, if these demands aren't talked about, if these demands aren't uh, uh, met, if you will, if most of these demands aren't met or they don't have some kind of collective bargaining agreement about these demands, um, Chicago schools will be closed. I I believe that is the Rochester County District. Is that right, Brother Lenny? No, that CPS is going to be – Rochester's up a little further north and west, I do believe. But we're we're talking about the Chicago public school system. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, the the list of demands, it, it reads as this. Number one, they want better teaching conditions so students can learn. Number two, they they would like access to the Internet in all schools since all records, lesson plans, et cetera, are online. Uh, number three, private areas where they counsel, uh, where counselors, psychologists, social workers, and et cetera, can interact with students. Number four, uh, they would like to be getting paid for the extra 14 days that are added to the calendar and the, and the 50 to 75 minutes that are added to each day. Uh, number five, the ability to be compensated for our extra education that, that we have gotten on our own time in order to enhance our teaching knowledge and students' knowledge. Now, this is coming from hey, the you, 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 you noticed that last one, pay me for investing in myself. Yeah, so basically yeah. pay for my education. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and we know what platform that comes for comes from. Number six, a fair and equitable teacher review process with multiple points of input. Number seven, a fair record system for teachers who are removed when students are shut down or reconstructed in order to open a private charter school. <laughs> Number eight, charter schools, which are private corporations, not being able to take public funds, thereby depriving public schools with much-needed funds. If you'd like to know more information, so go to so basically, eliminate school vouchers, so trap these kids in this school structure. Make sure you pay for me to go get extra degrees, which will then subsequently make me ask for more money. Right. And by the way, for the 14 extra days and or the 50 to 70 extra minutes a day, I want a significant raise. I mean, that's, you, you, you notice how they put the first three things on there, which are valid things, and then the last three to four things are nothing about money. The last five things are on about nothing but money, and, and which and, I don't and, understand. And they, also, and they also want to add. They also want to add more nurses, more social workers, etc. Which you can look at it and say there is a need for more nurses. There is a need for more social workers to be in the schools. But is that who? Who does that fall to? Does that fall to the teachers' unions, the board of education, maybe social services should get involved? with some of this stuff, especially with the needs that these kids have. 
you're not going to have a typical social worker dealing with a kid on the south side of Chicago whose mm-hmm. brother is a gangster's disciple who right. just got his head blown off, and here comes a nine-year-old kid trying to describe that and focus in school. While he's getting recruited by the gangster disciples and got other gangs going after him because his brother just got popped at age 15. Right. That's right. Well, you got you, you got to understand, the teachers' unions asking for some of these concessions is not going to stop. And I, and I had this right around the corner from where I was living just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. not going to stop shootings through school playgrounds at 745 in the morning where – Elementary school kids and their parents are scrambling for the doors, beating on their doors, saying the shooting let us in. So some of these concessions make sense. Better working conditions. See, everybody wants better working conditions. That's vague. 100% Wi-Fi throughout the schools and, and Internet connectivity, that makes sense in 2012. Uh, yeah, that's commendable. I but understand when you, that. But when, you, but when you start going to pay me for my extra education, Pay me for it, which is going to probably mean pay me for it, pay for it, and then pay me once I get it. And then the other raises that they were trying to build into this for the teachers' unions that act as though they're not trying to get a bump in pay and just say that this is all about the kids is disingenuous. (laughs) Just as much as the Board of Education sitting there saying, well, we absolutely positively can't meet some of these demands is disingenuous. Do we need a better learning environment for our kids? Absolutely. Do we need to spend our money better? Absolutely. Do we need other avenues for education? This is all about making sure that public funds don't go to to, to, um, charter schools schools and and school vouchers. That's, That's exactly what it down is. To. Well, you know what? When you have a 50% dropout rate and you have the violence that you have on the south and west side of Chicago and you have a broken educational system that's been broken for decades where now you have three and four generations of poor black and brown people that have basically a fifth or sixth or seventh grade education, it's no wonder that these kids continue to fail. So how do you break that chain? You either break the schools and break up the monopoly that the teachers' unions have over these schools, or you provide an opportunity for them to escape out of these schools with the same taxpayer money that's going into these broken schools by way of school vouchers. This is what this fight's about. And it's very disingenuous for the teachers' unions to say, oh, it's all about the kids. This is not all about the kids. This is about their best interest as well as a union, which I commend them. You know what? You're a union. That's the reason why you put them together. But don't sit there and say, that you came together as a union fighting for kids because it's not named the students' union. It's named the teachers' union. Isn't it obvious, though, that they don't have the kids' best interest at heart? They don't have the children's best interest at heart by picking the time of September 4th when uh, when kids are getting ready to go back to school to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go on strike all of a sudden now, so we're going to lengthen your summer out a little bit longer. That it should be that argument is disingenuous from the beginning, Lenny, and, and and I just don't see how people aren't calling them on that. Where are the local politicians? Where are the national politicians? Where are the senators? Where are the I don't I, where are all, all these people that were running Pudgy. to the Trayvon Martin case? Why aren't they opening Pudgy. their mouth now? Pudgy, because they're in the pockets of these same exact people. It's easy to blame the Board of Education, blame government, and, and call big government or and, and call you know people being corporate, which is code for business, which is code for Republican. Yeah. It's easier to do those things than it is to sit there and say, listen, this is not the time nor the place to allow our kids to stay out of school an extra amount of time. Like I mean, I we said, know what time I, it is. 
<laughs> we know what time it is, but I, I'm wondering where the people are on this. How can you sit here and stand behind the same people who are again, again, ruining your neighborhoods and now throwing your kids out in the street? Because that's what it is. They're throwing your kids out in the street over little nothing, over little well, nothing. But you, some of these people are us. That's the reason why. I mean, that's part of what had me fired up on Twitter is the fact that you have African-Americans that belong to the teachers' union that are not willing to sit there and speak up and say, listen, I know as a union we need to get what we're trying to get, but really we need to, re- re- we need to reconsider striking because of the bloodshed that's going on in our communities. If we strike, we are going to provide a death sentence for about 50 kids. So we need to really, really, really think about this. Now, at a clip of 98% of the members of the teachers' union voting to strike, nobody thought about it. No one thought about what kid was going to catch a bullet or what groups of kids are going to catch bullets or what groups of kids are just not going to come back to school after this strike. They did not think about it that much. And the blood is going to be on their hands. Or, well, they don't care. They're already, they're already dealing and spending money that has blood tainted all over it. I mean, let's just be honest. Many of them, not all of them, and not a majority of them, but many of them. So when you're looking at that, and you're looking at a dynamic where everybody's looking out for their best interest, and nobody wants to be historical, no one wants to have an obligation to where we are at this point in time in the history yes. of America, where, where we are in the history of black people in America, I think that we're missing the boat. And that's what fires me up. Because, again, I know that I'm willing, to, I'm willing to put it on the line for people for justice, even if that means i got to sacrifice myself, which I have done over the decade. Repeatedly. But when I, see, when I see people that have money, that have status, that want to sit there and run behind talking points and have no courage to sit there and think outside the box and avoid obviously disastrous situations, they're, they're frauds, they're cowards. And that's all I'm going to say about them. And I, I wish – in many regards, I was still in Chicago. I tried to help folks out. I wanted to help folks out. I walked the streets. I talked to the people. I worked with the kids. But again, you got to be of a clique. You got to be of a certain political persuasion, and you got to have a certain look and feel about you for them to accept you. And you also got to be willing to be a little dirty every now and then too. You know, I may be, I may, I may be, I may be, you know, I may be short, I may be ugly, and I may not be right all the time. But I'm not trying to be crooked, and I'm not trying to be dirty. I'm just trying okay. to be a child of God, do the right thing for people, and you know, if I fall short of the glory of God, so be it. That that includes the rest of humanity as well. Wow, six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. You rocking on the KIRP Radio Show with Lenny McAllister and your boy Pudgy. Um, your BLG in my book, if you're listening, folks, krpradioshow.com, yada, 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 y'all know what it is. Five million listening, we're trying to grow some more. But right now we're talking about Chi-Town and this school strike. Woo! The death toll is, uh, I don't even have my notes right here. I can't remember. I'll get back to it if I can get those notes. But the death toll is crazy in Chicago. The shootings were absolutely ridiculous. I can't understand where... Where the mentality is is just shoot them up. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's like like a TV show. But meanwhile, you have the educators that come on, and these are the people that are always talking about. Let's 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 be honest here, brother Lenny. These are the same people that are always talking about capitalism, how bad it is for the rich man, how the rich man isn't doing this, how the rich man isn't doing that, and trying to make you poor, trying to keep you poor, trying to keep you down. Meanwhile, the same teachers that are in the neighborhood are striking over. Really nothing more than money. And I'm talking about pennies on a the dollar. They got offered a 2% increase 
and they turned it down. Now, I don't know the history of the of the bargaining agreement that's been going on with the teachers union. I, I have no idea what the history of it is. I know they say they're tired of being ignored, and here are our list of demands. Well, I read that list of demands. I just read it off to you guys, and you decide. Is this really legitimate enough to be striking, knowing that the death toll and the violence is ridiculous in Chicago already, knowing that a lot of kids are going to lose their life to not having a school, knowing that a lot of kids are not going to be able to eat because they can't go to school? Is this really worth it? Aren't these the same people that that, that criticize, quote unquote, the rich or, or or the Republicans? Let me let me just get political here for a second, since they got political in their list of demands talking about charter schools. Lenny, if you're a teacher and you have a chance to get some assistance in re, in reducing the number of students that are in your class in form of a charter school, why would you not support that? Because you understand that many of your teaching cohorts are not up to par. You know that a lot of them are just doing it for the paycheck. A lot of them are tenured and you can't get rid of, so they're going to bring down the level and the quality of education in some instances, not the majority and not all, but in some instances. And if people take that charter school, take that money and run to a charter school, then some of those jobs are in jeopardy. And then everybody has to be evaluated. Same thing with the teachers' evaluations. They don't want to be evaluated one way. They want to be evaluated a different way. They don't want they don't want student performance. Right. To, to, to run into that. Now, granted, I don't think it should be the only determining factor because if you go into a poor school where kids are coming from challenged environments, you can be a great student. You may still lose 30 40% of your classroom, right. at least at the beginning. So I, I, I concur with some of that. At the same time, to basically try to absolve teachers from some of the responsibility of the failures of the public school system is basically saying, okay, Although I have an Audi and the transmission will occasionally downshift or flip itself from drive to reverse, it's my fault because I put the wrong type of gas in it. Yes, putting the wrong type of gas in it will probably make the car malfunction, but if you built the transmission and it's flipping from drive to reverse, (laughs) I I may have put diesel into a gasoline engine and screwed up the engine, but you still got a bad transmission in it. That's right. No matter what, you can't change the face of what's obvious. You can't change the face of what you're looking at. And and nothing will ever be able to change this in my mind. I'm, I'm going to always look at this situation and know for a fact, and I'm not saying all teachers, brother. I'm definitely not saying all teachers. So shout out to some of you teachers out there. I've seen you guys speaking up about this. I've seen you guys talk about where this isn't really legitimate. And, and, and that says a lot alone. But this is never going to change, in my mind, my view of the teachers' union and most of the teachers in Chicago right now, knowing that the community needs these schools open. They know for a fact that they need these schools open and that it means life and death, but a lot of people just don't care. To me, that is piss poor. That's no integrity. That, that That's just evil to me. I don't understand it. It's just pure evil to me, man. So I, I don't ever want to hear anybody talk about uh, 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 how capitalism is no good and how capitalism doesn't work when you got people like this. You know, these are educators. And, and sometimes, brother, sometimes, Lenny, I, listen, like I said before, I, I do support capitalism. I, I'm, I'm a fan of capitalism. I think there's a responsibility to capitalism. I'm not talking about the crony capitalism at all. But sometimes you take a job that that has a, a passion attached to it. 
Sometimes you take a job where you don't get paid for every single hour that you work. Sometimes you don't get paid for the little things and you put more into it. And I always look at teaching as being one of those type of jobs. I always look at teaching as being something that, you know, a, a, a cornerstone of the community, the school at least. And then you always have that special teacher, teacher, excuse me, that takes that extra time and spend with you and, you know, goes above and beyond and teach you about the things that the school really does not in the school curriculum. The teacher, uh, the teacher is is that important to a community. So to take that away and to take the safe haven of a school away from these kids who are already running from the street as is is just pure evil to me. And I I'll never understand where these folks are coming from. I see their list of demands, but frankly, I thought that these things could be handled while school continues. Personally, that's just the way I feel about it. So uh, it is what it is. Got to go to commercial, folks. You're rocking with Lenny McAllister and Pudgy on the KRP radio show. We'll be right after these messages. We'll be right back. And we're going to talk about the RNC, brother. I hope you're good with that because there's been a lot of things going on. But before we do that, I'm going to play a clip, and I want to ask you how you feel about it. 619-638-8559 is the number, folks. You're rocking with the KRP radio show. We'll be right back after these messages. Hang with me. North Carolina families are affected by autism. One out of every 110 children born today will be diagnosed with autism. If you have any questions or need support, we can help. The Autism Society of North Carolina can be reached at 800-442-2762. Again, that's 800-442-2762. Remember, 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism, and one out of every 110 children born will be diagnosed with autism as well. If you need to reach them by the web, the address is www.autismsociety-nc.org. You can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach them on YouTube. Love somebody today. I believe you can tell a lot about our governor and lieutenant governor by the way they lead our state. We have great challenges facing us and need strong, courageous, visionary leadership to see us through. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina lieutenant governor. As an architect, senior partner, and office president of the state's largest design firm, I was accustomed to solving complex problems for my clients. Architects are creative problem solvers, and that's what we need more of in Raleigh. And we need more business leaders, not more politicians. Over the past 10 months, I've visited the majority of the counties in North Carolina multiple times. I've traveled over 80,000 miles, listened to thousands of North Carolinians share their solutions to the challenges we face. Did you know North Carolina ranks 41st in the nation in K-12 education, 36th in graduation rate, 43rd in unemployment, 38th in business tax climate, 42nd in illegal immigration? This is just not acceptable. I believe it's time to look at the failed policies of our current governor and lieutenant governor and demand real leadership for North Carolina. 
As your next Lieutenant Governor, I will tackle these issues head on and provide the strong, courageous, visionary leadership needed to lead our state through these challenging times. Over the next few months, I'll be sharing solutions to these challenges, and I hope you will take the time to share them with your friends and family and give me your feedback. I believe we can turn America around, and I believe we should start right here in North Carolina. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina Lieutenant Governor, and I ask for your support. Remember this number, 9.8. That's not the time on the shot clock. For the seconds left in the game. It's not the number of times I will light you up. Nah, 9.8 isn't any of that. It's ounces. And that makes this the life ever. America, the NFL, and United Way are inspiring kids to get healthy and more active. Join the Play 60 movement. Pledge to Play 60 today at liveunited.org. Everybody to the KRP radio show 619-638-8559 is the number you rocking with your boy at NC Pudgy on Twitter and I got my man at Lenny McAllister on the line that's his Twitter tag in case you guys don't know we are right now at 5 million listeners baby and we've been doing big things man so shout out to all the listeners out there shout out to my whole team B.I.G. shout out to Dan Forrest and the Run Forrest Run campaign doing big things for Lieutenant Governor out there in North Carolina you know you got our support, baby. There's no doubt about that. You definitely have our support. And I hope everybody out there vote for Dan Forrest, too. Also, I got I want you guys to look out for Supreme Court Justice Scooby Newbie. Hey man, we gotta keep one for the team. If you have if you believe let me just put it out here like this. Can I can we get stop the music? Let me just say it like this before I get my man Lenny back on. I'm gonna say it just simply like this. Very simple, very clear. If you believe in Christ, vote for Scooby Newbie. I'm just going to leave it like that. If you believe in Christ, vote for newbie. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to talk about it right now. I'll, I'll bring him on the show, and I'll let you guys do the questionnaire, and we'll go in for that. Brother Lenny. Yes. Man, you've been a trailblazer, brother. You've been a trailblazer, and I, I didn't mean to get you that hype at the beginning of the show, man. I, I just Oh, no, no, no. I was actually on another show earlier today, and they had already gotten me hyped. So it was just a matter of you getting the continuation of that. That's all. Yeah, I, my intention were to uh, was to come on the show and just to tell you or, or to beat you up, man, and tell you how much better my uh, uh, Charlotte Panthers were going to be than your uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. But uh, you yeah, know. you got you, you you got you got six more 
Lombardi trophies before you can even start questioning that conversation. Oh, uh, so you're just like my brother, man. Shout out to Keon, man. See, now you want to start talking about championships, man. I, you know, all right, that's cool. I, I got nothing to say about that, but I'm going to enjoy my glory in the present right now, in the present day. When you know, yeah, every, every, everybody's everybody's zero and zero at this point in time. Everybody has glory. All thirty-two teams. <laughs> zero, zero. I hear you, zero and zero. I, you you know we're gonna be better than you guys, man. You know that, right? Like I said, you got six more six more trophies. We'll see if you're playing in February. I don't even remember last time the Charlotte Panthers played in January. <laughs> Several oh, years wants- ago. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Listen, I, I'm not knocking you, brother. That's 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 uh, I expect that from a Pittsburgh yeah, Steelers I'm, fan. Yeah, I mean, Steelers. There's a reason why there's a Steelers nation. I have yet to hear a Panthers nation. And every time, you, every time, every time, every time y'all swing a towel up in the air, some kind of you know hand-me-down rag, just understand that you're mocking the terrible towel. There's only one terrible towel, and that terrible towel's been everywhere from the moon practically to the Great Wall of China to the depths of the ocean oh, to boy. every every crevice of, of the earth, Mount Everest, everywhere the terrible towel has been. So just mind yourself of that. The next time you go down to Bank of America Stadium, they hand you a little snot rag and tell you to shake it and be excited about your <laughs> – Nate, Carolina Panthers. I love them, though. Nice guys. But they're not the Steelers. <laughs> man, you sound like you hate my boys, man. That's how I hate them. That's I cool, don't man. hate them. I think they're, I think they're, they're nice gentlemen. They're a, a well-run NFL team and very respectable. I had a friend that actually played for the Carolina Panthers years ago. In fact, the year that they actually went to the Super Bowl, I had a friend that uh, went to high school with my brother in Pittsburgh. That was on the team, as a matter of fact. So I was glad that he got an NFC championship ring and got himself a little uh, Super Bowl check as well. So I'm happy for them, and I, you know, I root for the Carolina Panthers, and I want them to do well. They're just not the Steelers. Okay, that's cool. I, I accept that for what it is, but I, I just want you to know we're going to be in the house that's this year. That's all you can do. There's only there's and, uh, only one franchise that has six Super Bowl championships. So I guess the other 31 teams have to do the same thing including yours, that you're doing right now, which is just accept the fact that there's only one, you know, team that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ooh, man, you talk a lot of junk. That's all I can do. All right, man, you got that off. I'm, I'm going to let you be, but uh, let me play something a little more offensive. And, folks, this is uh, this is that idiot Bill Maher, and uh, he made a comment about Republicans and conservatives. He, he threw my conservatives in there, too. And, uh, man, you know how I roll. Ain't no shame in my game. Everybody know I'm a proud black conservative. I will be to the day that I leave here. And there's nothing changing my mind. I know my history. Do you know yours? Anyway, I just want to play this clip. And before I play it, I want everybody out there to know, go ahead and retweet it, repost it. It is explicit because, you know, Bill Maher got a mouth like that. At times, I go off, too. I, I'm, you know, guys still working with me, but I'm just not. This guy, you can hear the tone. Of, of how much he really means it, you know. But anyway, here's Bill Maher, and, and Brother Lenny, brace yourself. The problem is, no matter what Obama suggests people do, the Republicans have become a party that treats every suggestion for the common good as a direct attack on their personal liberty. During the campaign, Obama suggested that an easy thing Americans could do to help with fuel efficiency was check the tire pressure on their car simple. Think of your tires like tits and keep them inflated. (laughs) But that's asking Americans to do something. Inflate my tires? 
fuck you. Get me more oil. <laughs> and don't even suggest you're going to screw with my ability to cheat on my taxes. Yes, this week, the president had the audacity to suggest that billion-dollar corporations with fake offices in the Bahamas be taxed at the higher rates of not being allowed to steal anymore. You've heard of opposite marriage? They're practicing opposite patriotism. This last Earth Day, Rush Limbaugh celebrated by praising coal-fired powered plants and the plastic bag, while Glenn Beck cheered a man on while he cut down trees. You know, not really an ideology here, just being a dick. <laughs> you know, When the president suggests things that will help the greater good, that's not a slight against your fragile manhood. I know, I know, you're a rugged individualist. Except you're not. You're just a dick. And never called out on it. Going back to Reagan, all of our leaders have told us, the people, that government is always the problem. Never you, my precious perfect American citizen. You are always perfect just the way you are, like a precious little snowflake, a beautiful, precious, 350-pound, pig, ignorant snowflake. So that's Bill Maher, and, and the meter why I played this clip is because it's something that I keep seeing over and over. I keep hearing over and over and over and over and over. First off, the attack on... Uh, Republicans wanting to stand up against what the government does, or conservatives, excuse me. Uh, and But second of all, Bill Maher suggests that America's problems are the people's problems, that we actually created the problems that we have today. What do you think about that? Or, or, or what did you hear from that clip? I'm sorry. Some of what he said was right. I think that, you know, we can't be – a party of personal accountability, and then when it's time to be personally accountable, say, well, I'm not accountable, it's somebody else's fault. Sure. So we we have to be consistent with that. And it, we as conservatives and Republicans make it very easy for people such as Bill Maher to just slam us when we do the do si -do with that. Personal accountability, except when we want to blame somebody else and it's not personal accountability. It's kind of like the, you know, get out of my personal life, Government has no role being in my personal life, except when I want to talk about certain issues, certain relationships. As a Christian conservative, I understand. As a political party that's supposed to not blend the two together, it, it becomes a, a contrast that the opposite side of the aisle looks at and says it seems to be hypocritical. That's and when you're so looking for something hypocritical, though. You can't help but you can't help but put the two together in some instances, especially when you're talking about like pro-life. Pro-life, and, and, and and that's why I'm saying, as a Christian conservative, sure. that is one pocket of the Republican Party. But when the whole party takes it on or makes a religion an, an instance in one regard and doesn't make it an instance in another regard, and we're talking about the secular political party as a whole, then it comes across as disingenuous. I do think there needs to be some type of personal accountability that we do. Now, with that said, with that said, I think we do over, you know, the left does oversimplify things. The left will basically take one of our arguments and basically use it as a punchline 
to go after us. I think that sometimes we allow Rush and, and Glenn Beck to be too much of the spokespeople for the whole conservative movement when we have to be able to exemplify our diversity within conservatism and how we apply it, where where it comes into play. We talk about individual responsibility when it comes to, you know, getting a job or pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't talk about, you know, individual accountability when it comes to volunteering in, in the inner cities of America. That's personal accountability too. You want to shrink government? Yeah, sure, shrink government. But we need we need more tutors. We need more mentors. We need more people investing in businesses in the inner city so people can walk work and walk to work and walk to grocery stores and eat healthy foods and have safer neighborhoods and have better diets and all that other stuff. So there's a sense of personal accountability there as well that we need to take to heart a little bit more. Now do I think that Bill Maher's view of the world is, is where we need to go with that? No, because Bill Maher leans so far left that he falls over half the time. And that's his right as an American. I am not taking that away from him. But if we're going to be the party of personal accountability, we need to be the party of personal accountability. We need to, to fight to elevate the conversation, fight to elevate our communities in every sense that we encounter every sense of the word, every opportunity, not just when it's convenient. Yes, do I think that we need to look at, for example, ways that we can be more efficient? Yes. Does that mean that I should think that we should ignore the oil markets or we should just say, hey, as Americans, we should inflate our tires more and, and drive less? No, that's silly. We're America. We, drive, we're, we still drive more than anybody else. The way our, our country is built requires us to drive more than anybody else. The way our, our transportation industry is put together between trains and planes and buses requires oil still more than any other country in, in the world. So, therefore, because of our economic needs, not just to travel back and forth, but because we are the economic business engine of the world even still, despite the recession that the, the globe has been facing, because of that, we still need to consume oil. So there's no amount of check the inflation of your tires that's going to really do any kind of you know big deal. Or, hey, everybody can ride a bike. That's not going to work. Or let's go to you know green energy. Well, you can't go to green energy when you're commuting 80 miles one way a day which people do in this country. So there are things that we need to consider that just going super green and super left is not going to please, accommodate, or be practical at this point in time. And I think that the Bill Mars of the world think that it is, and if we don't get it, then, you know, basically the, to, 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 you know, paraphrase him, blank us. No, it's not blank us. We have to look at the diversity of the United States and understand that not everybody lives in Los Angeles. Not everybody lives in New York City with subways and buses and, and taxis and people that will pick you up and, and ride you around while yeah, they're pulling you on a bike. Right. It, no, it's it's not the same. And I think that sometimes basically liberals that live in big cities, they think that the world all looks like their city until you go to rural Missouri, until you go to rural Arkansas, until you go to rural North Carolina, then you realize, oh, this is different. The next town is 30 miles away. The next cab company is 50 miles away. Mm -hmm. They have a Greyhound station here and maybe a train station, and then i got to walk for 30 minutes. So it would behoove them to get out a little bit more and understand why conservatives think the way they do. Maybe it's because it's just their life experience. Maybe it's not bad, and maybe there is a way to meet in the middle. And then, you know, yeah, for conservatives, we need to try to meet President Obama when appropriate, 
to make some sense of things. But at the same time, liberals got to stop demonizing conservatives and understand that the world doesn't look like Los Angeles or New York all the time. <laughs> that's a good. That's that's a good uh, strong point. A bunch of good strong points you made there, Lenny. I think, and uh, I don't think many people would disagree with you. Uh, that really looks at the platform from an overall standpoint of view, I guess. Um, There are some people who are going to disagree with you who are, you know, far left and far right, and, and, you know, they just don't see any, uh, how can I say this, any any bend in what they believe. You know, what they believe is what they believe and what it's going to be. Yeah, and the sad thing about it is, Pudgy, is the fact that I'm the sleazeball of politics because I actually believe that people that are on the far left are still Americans. They still love this country, and they're worthy to be at least listened to. But we're not going to save this country from the abyss that we're facing without having people that are willing to love their fellow Americans, listen to their fellow Americans, even if they initially disagree with them, and then work with their fellow Americans to make a stronger nation. Unfortunately, the sleazebags of the world nowadays, the moderates, the people that are in the middle, the people that can talk to both sides of the aisle and be respected by both sides of the aisle, the people that are now the dirty words, we're the ones that are going to probably save the country. It's going to be two sets of people that will elevate this nation to where it's supposed to be in the 21st century. The first set of people are going to be the folks that can negotiate on both sides of the aisle, allow both sides to save face, but get practical solutions for a diverse 21st century America. And the other set of individuals are absolutely positively going to be black conservatives because there's no other political group that can touch a new voting bloc in a way and address as many harmful issues all at one time and change the political dynamics of America as quickly as black conservatives can. It's funny you say that. And it's good that you said that because that leads me into this next uh, uh, question I'm, I'm going to pose to you. Uh, are blacks going to come out in support against the president in in uh, this year, November? No, they're going to vote for President. They're going to they're going to vote for President Obama at a clip of about ninety two percent. I think some will stay home. I think it won't be ninety five like it was. I think it'll be about ninety one to ninety two percent. I think that um, people don't want to say that they voted against the first black president either time. I think that they don't see enough African Americans or people of color within the ranks within the Republican Party quite yet. Um, people still can't relate to. Governor Romney, too much money, his background's too different, and I think that's going to be a barrier. I think that, unfortunately, people are going to look less at the the numbers in the, in the campaign. They're going to look more at the words. Governor Romney has to speak in numbers. What's the unemployment rate? What's the national debt? How do we decrease spending? How do we get people back to work? How do we get more people involved in the workforce? He has to speak in numbers. He cannot speak in words, and right now I think that people are still caught up in the words. Anytime President Obama thinks that he can come to Charlotte, North Carolina, and build himself a sand Mount Obama That's war, wow. Wow. then just to, just to have the, the audacity to do that. Now, I've heard of, I've heard of the audacity of hope, but this is about <laughs> the audacity of re-election. You when you have these unemployment numbers and you have the audacity of re-election to create for yourself – a sand, uh, sand replica of Mount Rushmore, 
greeting people to Charlotte four years after having Greek columns all over the place, elevating you to the, to the Greek godlike status when you accept the nomination. You're, you're dealing with something as a nation, as a people. And I think that too many African-Americans have bought into it. They still have their T-shirts, like I used to say on my show on WVON. They still wear their Obama pajamas when they're making decisions yeah. about this president. They are still too much of fans and not citizens. There's there's still too much, you know, groupies in regards to chasing the president around and being proud to have a black president rather than looking at this as a voter and as a constituent and saying, has this individual served my constituency well? With a 14% clip of unemployment, with some of the other issues that we're facing in the black community, the answer is no. And, and by the way, with this president's willingness to speak about issues such as domestic violence and do a PSA about violence against women, which I think is a commendable thing, but to do that in 2012, to get the women's vote and not be able to be a historic figure for black children everywhere and do a PSA in February 2009 talking directly to black youth and saying, now that I've broken the, the ultimate glass ceiling in America, it's time for us to change some other paradigms. It's time for black children to stop killing each other. It's time for black children to do better in school. It's time for black children to stop dropping out of school. It's time for black fathers to stay in the home. It's time for us to have stronger marriages. It's time for us to have better relationships. I challenge us to do this, and I think that we can do this together. If you can make me the first black president, let's make our communities better together overall, and that will make a stronger America. Why couldn't he spend 30 seconds in February 2009 saying that? I, I'm not me. that eloquent. Remember, I'm me. not that eloquent. I, I, I'm some little, I'm some little ugly-looking elf-looking character here in, in Washington, D.C. I'm not the, the good-looking, tall, angular president sitting down there on, on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That should have been said February 2009. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they would address each other as far as black-on-black youth differently. Maybe, just maybe, we would have started being more post-racial if he would address the biggest elephant in the room, rather than, on the flip side, telling Eric Holder to shut up about race when Eric Holder called us a, race of, uh, a nation of cowards when it came to race. Remember what he said? He didn't take that on. He said, well, you know, I wouldn't have said what he said. But I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, to, to get to get not to get 92 to 94 percent of the black vote in 2012, after not serving the black constituency, after not talking about race, after yeah. telling Eric Holder not to talk about race, and then trying to talk about certain issues and speak to certain demographics in an election year, I'm not gonna say it's you know shady. I'm just gonna call it disingenuous. I wanted to go there on the Eric Holder, but I stutter, so that must mean don't go there. So I, I let that be. But let me play devil's advocate for a second because here's what I'm hearing and here's what I'm seeing. And I, I, there's some validity in this for some people. Maybe not for me, maybe not for you, but people are saying I'm going to vote for the president because he got rid of bin Laden. Makes sense. He brought the troops home. He that was something that President Bush already something that President Bush already put into place, and the Obama administration could not renegotiate. So that's that that is something that President Bush 
put into place that President Obama benefited from. People need to remember how that all played out, and they don't. Well, I'm, I'm reading off my list here, man, and, and I got quite a few well, things. Well, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm addressing each one as you go. So right uh, now, President Obama is one and one. He, he, he's not two and zero. Oh. He's one well, and one. You, you didn't address the Carl Ben Laden part. I, I say I concur. I said that he—that's that, a check mark on, on his column. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, well, let me address that. I'm giving a shout out to the Navy SEALs on that one because that there's I could have been the president. You could have been the president. He's the commander. He's the commander in chief. You hey, man, still got to say. You still got to say. Do it or not do it. You Elmer cannot Fudd take credit. You can't. You can't. No, Bugs you can't Bunny say that. Said, do it. Anybody no, in their right mind would have said, yo, Pudgy. go get Bin Laden. Hold on. Come on, let's be Hold serious. Hold on, Pudgy. Hold on, no, Pudgy. What happened to Jimmy Carter when he tried to go get the hostages back in 1970? I think it was 79. Yeah, it was 79 Still. or 80, one of the two years. What What happened to Jimmy Carter when they tried to go get the hostages and it failed? He looked horrible. It did not work out, and it was egg all over President Carter's face. There was a substantial risk. They could have had loss of life, and it could have just flat out failed. It could have done a number of things. Remember, the, the helicopter crashed. It didn't start out perfectly in the first place. Yeah. He took a risk. It worked out. you got to give him credit for it. It's a check mark in President Obama's column. Let's just be fair. But he's one and one off the two that you listed so far. I still say Elmer Fudd would have pushed the button to say go. And it, given given where we were in the country at the time, anybody would have said go, and they just would have you dealt have with said, it. You could, have said, you could have said the same thing about Jimmy Carter. We needed to get our, our hostages back when the, the Iran situation went down. Sure, it didn't yeah, work out. It made him look worse, right. and it, it, helped, it helped Reagan win in a landslide in November. Reagan was going to win anyway. Jimmy, Jimmy Carter had other economic issues just as well as Obama has this time. But but guess what? But guess what? Jimmy Carter had a fairly strong foreign policy um, record until that went down. Remember, he was the one that brokered the Middle East um, negotiation, the Middle East peace. No one had really done that before. Right. That was a huge feather in his cap. I don't, I don't so knock he, him for that. He, I'm so, but, for but, that. Until, but, but I'm saying until – the situation with the hostages went down, Carter could at least lean on some foreign policy victories that Reagan didn't have access to. So you could say the economy was bad, but the economy's been bad. The, the oil crisis was, was with OPEC, not the United States. Carter could have negotiated his way out of that. And remember, Carter was ahead in the polls. Carter was so far ahead in the polls at one point in time, he was begging for Reagan to be his, his candidate because they saw him as an empty suit former actor from a liberal state that was not going to be able to cut the mustard on the big stage. And he was, and they thought he was going to be an older candidate that wasn't going to be able to, to have the endurance to do what it took. And you're talking about an incumbent president. So you're telling me, and and we're going to move on here in a second, but you're telling me that no other president would have had the gonads to say, go get him, given where they were and what time it was in the country. You think nobody else would risk that? I'm telling you that there are presidents that would have done it, and there are some presidents that might not have done it. I can't name one, Lenny. I can't name one. I got to disagree with you. I, I can't name one that would have said abort that mission. Well, I, again, I can go back to, to Joe Kennedy. 
with um, President Roosevelt that was pleading for the administration and had people within the administration that was agreeing with Joe Kennedy when he was, I think it was the envoy to England. They were basically recommending to the president that they negotiate with Adolf Hitler, and there were people within the, within the administration that was agreeing 100%. You always have both sides of an issue going on all the time. You will have presidents that would have done it, and you will have presidents that would not have done it. it happens all the time. Look at the Compromise of 1876. They have done all this work for Reconstruction to make sure African Americans who newly became citizens had protection under the law. And because one guy and one party wanted to secure the presidency, they sold out not only a whole segment of, of newly coined citizens, but they basically threw a whole area of the country into chaos for almost 100 years. That was cowardice. So you can find a president that would have said, ah, let's, let's err on the side of caution and not do that because we don't know that's bin Laden. You certainly could find it in American history. There's 44 of them. I know I could find at least one. I just named one. <laughs> Personally, I think the mission was already planned. I think it was already underway, so to speak. I think it was already uh, 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 basically scheduled to do. I think he had all the intelligence that he needed, and he had more than enough proof to say, let's go ahead and do it, because let's forget, let, let's remember that the president wasn't uh, 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 all out. He wasn't an all out guy on going anywhere in any other land to do anything like capturing a prisoner of war. Or, or, I'm sorry, capturing that's someone not like, true, but that's not true. But like he said he actually he was actually the candidate that said and again, I, I, I voted for McCain. The, the I voted for McCain. I voted for McCain, but but President Obama did say that he would go into another country if he had enough intelligence to go get Bin Laden. He would go in another country where other candidates were saying in 2008, "Well, you know, we have to see if these people are our allies and this with is that, the and the other stuff, and so on." And that's what he I'm would, saying. With the intelligence, he he would go do it, but without the intelligence, no, he wasn't an no. For it. He said that if he had the intelligence, he would go in. Other candidates said, based on our based on our relationships with the country, they may or may not do it, even with the same intelligence. That is one of the things that did separate him on the campaign trail in 2008. He basically did what he said he was going to do. Again, you've got you to give the president credit where credit is due. It makes it a lot easier to condemn him when he deserves criticism. I definitely if you don't give him props. But I, I I still say, Lenny, I, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry. I get a man props where he deserve it. I don't hate the man. I just hate the hell. I hate his policies. You know, I definitely hate all them damn executive orders that he's put out. But that's a whole nother issue. But hey, yeah, you we know, can go there with that one. He, he, it, it, you know, it is what it is. He get props from some people for going out and and actually doing that. His name is on the we caught Bin Laden. I was the president when it went down. Cool. He gets the okay for. Given a green light, so to speak. But I still think personally that anybody, given the intelligence that he was given, would have said, go get him. I don't know. I could be wrong. Let, let's move on, though. Let's move on. Let, let's talk about this. Blacks also voted for President Obama because he passed the Health Care Act, the Affordable Health Care Act. What do you think about that? I, they don't realize how much it's not going to really benefit them as much as they think it's going to, unless they want to be on, on you know, Socialized medicine. If the premiums are going up now and issues are are, are coming into play now, we have a shortage of doctors and a shortage of nurses, and this is 
capable of driving people out of the system where we have even more of a shortage, how does that help black people? I, I don't it think it helps at all. I, I think it takes us back that, to the time that, of sterilization, and, and I think it makes us uh, uh, subject to any kind of uh, pharmaceutical agenda, any kind of pharmaceutical affiliations with, you know, how they get down with Congress over and over and I, over. So, I mean, I think it makes us see, more vulnerable than it than it does, so you know, I, I, I would dis- I would disagree with them on that, so I'm saying one and two, but continue. Okay. So, uh, let's say he, he put more money in my paycheck by – uh, restoring America, and um, let me, I can't hardly read this, um, pa- paving, what do you say, paving, I guess he's talking about restoring America when they were paving roads and streets and more jobs back in the country. But the, with the black unemployment rate officially at 14%, and in some areas unofficially as high as 25%. So he's putting more money in your paycheck, perhaps, if you conceivably possibly have a job. But the unemployment rate when he came into office, I think, was at was in the sevens. The stimulus package was supposed to cap it at 8.0. It is yet to hit 8.0. We'll find out on Friday, after this convention, where the unemployment rate is, which will probably be at least 8.1%. It may go back up. So putting more money in your paycheck when many of us don't have jobs, is a little empty of an argument, I would say. Okay, I'll take that for what it's worth. I, I think that the Health Care Act is is uh, something that will make me just not vote for him at all, you know, beside the quote-unquote restoring of America that a lot of people claim he's doing by putting people back to work. I just... Frankly, I can't see that because they are... You can't put... The, if you need... If you need 400,000 jobs a month to be added to the economy for people to really be going back to work, and you add, add 60,000 jobs. Right. That's a failure. It's not an accomplishment. Hooray for the 60,000 people they get to go back to work. Unfortunately, as a nation, you need 400,000. I wonder where are so they? I can't find them. Well, I, I well, well number are. one, 60,000 over, over, over the course of 50 states is not a lot of jobs. That's the first thing. You got to think about it being spread over 50 states. That's number one. Number two, when you hear the arguments of all these consecutive months of positive job growth, again, it's all relative. It's all relative. It's like saying every single day, you know, you have hungry people at, at soup shelters eat. Yes, they eat one meal a day, and it's a small cup of soup. They need three meals a day and a place to live. So if you're patting yourself on the back saying you fed them, knowing that they need a shelter and three square meals a day, then you're being disingenuous, and you may even be being rather hollow. You know they need more than that. Just the same. Bragging about adding 80,000 jobs in a month when you're looking at adding 300 to 400,000 jobs a month in order to get the economy really roaring again is disingenuous. Hooray, you added jobs. It's nowhere near enough. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I agree. I'm supposed to be playing devil's advocate, man, so you got to get me back on track. So my president has also slowed down recession. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Obama stepped in the gap, and and he stepped in the gap and stuck to a a recovery plan of stimulus dollars and labor force transition. That's 
Hey, the I'm, unemployment I'm, rate the unemployment rate went from the sevens all the way up into the nines, went down into the eights, bumped back up into the nines, and it's still stuck in the eights. We're bragging about sixty thousand jobs a month being added, and the GDP is growing at an anemic rate to the point where the Fed and others are talking about us going back into a recession. Or, just as there was a recent article on the Daily Beast, they're saying that the increase in people needing welfare or other assistance from the government indicates that the, re- the recovery never happened in the first place. That's not something to brag about. I agree. Sorry, even though I'm on Obama's side right now. All right, let me see. What about um? Now I got to come off my own. Oh, oh, oh. Let's. What about this one? Uh, President Obama say the collapse of the American automotive industry by you know restructuring GM and bailing them out. Well, two of them went through a sort of restructuring that they would have gone through in bankruptcy anyway. So one can argue, well, where were they going to get the capital fund for restructuring? If they had to go to the federal government, there's an argument to be made there. At the same time, they went through restructuring anyway, the same restructuring that they were told to go through in the first place. And by by the way, how come the third automotive industry or automotive manufacturer, American automotive manufacturer, did not take the bailout money, and they're doing well also? So there's an argument to be made that maybe we didn't need to do it the way we did it with the Obama administration. There's an argument to both sides. Are they still there? Yes. By the way, a whole lot of money was given to unions, which do what? Oh, put money back in the Democratic big-shot campaigns, including the presidency. So one hand washes the other. I'm not surprised. Over we $200 all got a little million. Bit underneath their fingernails too. By the way, over $200 million. Um, Let's see. What about uh, – oh, here, here's one of my favorites. Uh, President Obama closed Guantanamo Bay. It's not closed. <laughs> It's not closed. What, what do you mean it's not closed? That's what I've been hearing. They said President Obama closed Guantanamo Bay. It's not closed. All right, we'll move on. Um, let's see. Oh, here, here's one you'll like right here. Uh, President Obama saved Wall Street by uh, exposing regulatory oversight on Wall Street. He saved Wall Street. Yeah, that's what he that's said. He saved Wall Street from no, crashing. No, the whole, the, whole, the whole argument was that he saved consumers from Wall Street, but he gave AIG – this is the president and the administration. They gave AIG a whole bunch of money, which then allowed AIG to give a whole bunch of money in bonuses to individuals that caused the collapse in the first place. And the way the administration wanted to deal with it was tax the bonuses at 100%. Of the money that they so, gave. Yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like saving anything. That sounds like confusion and a little bit of mad chaos and some egg on the face. So the regulations, yes, sure, we needed to put something in place. I do believe in appropriate regulation. Appropriate regulation. But when you start talking about being a champion of the people by putting over regulation in in some regards and then still giving AIG money at a clip where they take the money and still give people bonuses that cause economic ruin, and then your way of trying to deal with it because you're embarrassed that they did this with the bonuses is by trying to put in place a 100% tax rate. It's pretty much the same thing as giving a whole bunch of banks a whole bunch of money to unfreeze 
the credit lines for small businesses, and then they take the money and buy up banks. You give them all this money to make sure that hiring doesn't go away, and you don't lay off a lot of people, and they take the money and lay off a lot of people and sit on the money anyway, and then you tell them, well, we're going to charge you interest rates and cap the executive pay at $250,000 until you pay the money back. And what they do is they say, you know what, you can have your money back so that we can start paying our executives again, and then we're going to sit on the rest of the money. He shouldn't have been giving the money anyway. He shouldn't have been giving. He shouldn't have gave them jack nothing in the first well, place. That was, well, let's let's put it like this: that was Bush and Obama that did that. Well, but with that said, if you, but my point is, if you're going to give them that amount of money, you need to tie it in the jobs and you need to tie it in the lending. You don't just give them the money and let them do what they do. Either you're going to be straight socialist all the way through. <laughs> have the government give them money and tell them what to do, or you're going to be straight capitalist all the way through oh, and say, man. you know what, go fail. Don't pick who you are. We're going to be socialists, give you the money, and then we're going to be capitalists and let you do what you do. Oh, and by the way, pay us back when you want so that you can uncap your, your executive salaries all over again and still screw middle-class America out of jobs and small business owners out of the opportunity to access credit in order to keep the businesses going. Wow. That's not leadership. And, again, I would I – would, Parlay that into thank you, you know, Mr. Bush and Mr. Obama, not just one or the other. <laughs> That's pretty good, Lenny. You're good at this, man. I, I like this. I'm, I need a longer list here. Um, here. Here's another one that I that I've gotten from a uh, from a participant. I'll say, um, President Obama has made the environment a national priority and a primary source for job creation. I guess we kind of went over that already. Um, let's go to another one here. Unless no, you want to address about, that you're about, oh, wait, You're talking about Salindra. You're talking about creating those jobs at Solyndra with green energy and creating a whole bunch of jobs and being and being fiscally efficient. Hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, well. You know, people – you know, Pudgy, I'm going to blame this on you real quick before you go on through with this. People are used to seeing me be stately. This isn't being stately. This is being <laughs> snarky. And I don't usually uh. feel snarky. But you me, got man. me into the snarky move. You and the other shows on previously start talking about teachers unions in Chicago and how teachers unions are have, have a justified point in going on strike and putting kids' lives at risk at this point in time. So we start with that. That gets me on edge, gets me going, and then you give me this list. So I apologize for all the people that are tuning in that are used to hearing stately Lenny McAllister, the person that gives the, the beautiful speeches and, and looks pretty good on television despite the, the height deficiency. And instead you're getting the snarky guy on a Sunday night. I apologize. It's called KIRP Radio, baby, keeping it real with Pudgy. You get on this show, you can't help but to keep it 100, as I say all the time. So it is what it is, uh, man. It's KIRP Radio! See, that's why we yell like that. So it is what it is, man. I, I think you're doing a great job. Lady, let's go to the phone line, man. I'm tired of reading off that dull-ass list. Pardon me. Um, going to a call out of the 336. You are the only 336. Well, not the only. Uh, 484 is the last three of your number. You're on the air with Pudgy and Lenny. How are you? Hey, how are you guys tonight? Hey, how are you? How are you? Hey, doing what's good? going on? Hey, I have a lot of respect for both of you guys. I feel I feel honored to have you both on the air tonight listening to you. It's great. Um, I had I had the um, opportunity this summer to go out and reach out to some of the lower income communities in my state, and I am a conservative, but I grew up as a liberal because my father was a conservative. So as a twenty-something, I was a conservative. That was my choice. <laughs> Get back at my father, 
But no then doubt. as I grew a little wiser, I became a conservative. Um, I would like to ask Lenny especially. Um, I hate this issue. I mean, I know race is an issue. We can't get away from it. But I always – I never understood why it was so divisive, um, especially now, especially today. Um, but when I go into the lower-income neighborhoods, I see white and black. And when I see – like this week on Breitbart's website, I saw this journalist on MSNBC have a connection fit over the Republican convention saying that there were so many references to the rich. Um, how do we as conservatives um, reach out to not only blacks but white Democrats, liberals, who believe that they are being disenfranchised, so they say, um, and tell them, you know, it's not – a handout or a hand up or whatever we say, but how can we actually be proactive and show them how they can be something instead of just saying it? Hmm. Be be present consistently. Yeah. Do what you're yeah. doing. Make sure that they see you. Make sure that they see that you're an advocate. Allow your conservative way of life to be an, a regular example in their lives be able to articulate why you vote the way you do, why you believe you the way you do, and be able to engage people on the other side of the aisle without being threatened by them. Be confident in your position so that they can learn from you and learn how to be confident in their positions as they grow into being new conservatives. If you're able to do that and keep your hands on them and, and, and touch their lives on a regular basis, they'll, they'll see the light and they will, they will critically think on the issues. And they'll make They'll make determinations on their own, and many of those individuals will follow your path and become conservatives as well. And those that don't become conservatives will at the very least be able to relate to conservative thought, even if they occasionally vote liberal or consider themselves Democrats. But every now and then, regardless of whether they tell you or not, pull the labor for the conservative candidate. Okay. Well, I really hope you guys can reach people in the positions that you have too because – there are a lot of us conservatives that are really hurting for those who are suffering right now too. I mean, we see it. Some of us, some of my friends are, but we really do not ignore the issue. But I think that the party really does need to be more proactive. I really do. I think that the I think the party does need to be more proactive. I think the party, in many many instances, chooses not to be proactive. I think that part of that is because they're scared to engage diversity. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is because they're too willing to hold on to power through legacy means, and I think that it's going to take a civil war within the conservative movement. I think it's going to take more Tea Party activists and leaders rising up, and I think that they're going. it's going to take some Republican Party leaders either having an epiphany and changing their ways or having an exit strategy and being booted out of the party before we actually get a more effective Republican Party that reaches a more diverse America. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Hold yeah, up. Thank you. God bless. Don't you oh, go okay. yet. Okay. No, 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 okay. no, no. No, you can't go yet because I want to address that okay. too, by the way. Okay. All right. I think I, I often say on this show um, to open your mouth. And, and, and I say that to a lot of people because I find that one thing that we all share is is uh, we regress in our comfort zone sometimes. 
no matter where you are, the supermarket, the you know, the bakery, what the post office, no matter where you are, I think we regress in our comfort zone sometimes and uh we just don't open our mouth and say hello, how are you doing? And and to me, the majority of the time, if you can just open up and say hello, how are you, that leads into a more extensive conversation and then you can get to the point of talking regular talk and not so much politics. And then you realize, hey, you know what? We got a lot in common. And that's what beats, that's what engages people, I think. When they realize that, hey, you know, this guy likes cars too, or this lady likes sewing too, or she likes this movie, or we like action movies as well, it's easier to talk about issues like politics at that point. But if we never get past walking past each other without saying, hello, hi, how are you? We'll never get anywhere because once you go into a neighborhood and say, hey, I'm going to do this, you know, like we had, uh, we, we always do things in the neighborhood. Shout out to my brother Rashad Woods and Contessa Woods and my wife and C4GC. Shout out to those guys over there, conservatives for Guilford mm-hmm. County. You know, we always engage and we're always in the neighborhoods and all over this country I'm, I'm, I'm in places. But it doesn't matter when I'm just there. If I would open my mouth and speak to people on a regular basis when I pass them by on a regular basis and not when I come out to give something or to hold an event, that will make a bigger difference, I think. And I think that's where we fail at majority of the times. We get on an agenda and we decide, hey, we need to go do something in this neighborhood besides just being around saying, hello, hey, how are you? Now, granted, I know a lot of people don't live in the same places, but we pass different people that we don't know every single day. Every day right. of our lives, and if we truly well, live this, don't you think they got to take it to the national level, though? I mean, at least, I mean, just not maybe not national, but really, really make it, put it, put it, put it to to the, I don't know, just put it in action and let the, let them see it. I mean, put them to, sh- I don't want to say put them to shame, but you know, when you get a Jesse Jackson up there and and Brett, you know, these guys in the national spotlight, just constantly harping on it, you know, and mm-hmm. saying that we don't care. I mean, you know, really, do we have anything to show for it? I mean, some of us on the we, local level, too, you know. You're right. Oh. You're right. We we cannot have just black conservatives telling people to get off the Democratic plantation if we're not not willing to walk the neighborhoods. I mean, I tell people all the time, and, and people get offended by it. They tell me, why do you say the phrase black America? I said, because if you've ever walked the south side of Chicago, you'd realize that the America that those black folks live in mm-hmm. is very different than the America that other folks live in. And if, if black conservatives and those that are willing to speak to urban Americans from a conservative point of view are not willing to walk the streets of the south side of Chicago, are not willing to walk the streets of the Hill District in my native Pittsburgh, are not willing to walk the streets in Los Angeles, are not willing to walk the streets in Harlem, are not willing to walk the streets in West Charlotte, are not willing to walk the streets in these type of areas. We can sit there and tell people to get off the Democratic plantation all we want, and all it comes across mm-hmm. as being is nothing more than a condescending phrase. We have right. to do the work. We will not sunset the influence of liberals to the far left, such as Reverend Jesse Jackson, who I love dearly. I've met the man. I've met some of the other civil rights leaders, including Al Sharpton. They have a role from time to time in American politics and American society, and God bless them when that is an appropriate role. But more often than not, they lead people down a path they don't need to go down. Anytime a reverend tells you, anytime a reverend of a Christian church tells you that they believe in gay marriage and ignores what the Bible talks about with one man, one woman at one time, we're not talking about secular. We're not talking about secular protection of rights, which you can have under a civil union. We're talking about a marriage, and these are people that are supposed to do 
marriages as ordained ministers, that's when you have to sit there and say you're living out the liberal agenda, and what do we put up as a constant public contrast, as a presence in the communities at this national level, at the state level, at the local level that contravenes what's been out there for decades. If we're not willing to do that, and all we want to do is talk about democratic plantations without walking the streets in these democratic areas, then we are doing nothing more but giving lip service to something that's going to need a movement to change it. Yeah, but the move, the, well, the move and, and, and the movement starts with the individual. We, you, you gotta listen. I, this thing is gonna. I said this before, and this is my frustration too. I, I understand, caller. I, I get what you're saying. I understand it, and I agree. Something needs to be done on the national level. But here's my frustration: it's 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 nothing we can do overnight. It's nothing that we're probably gonna do in our lifetime that's gonna suit us on the national level. You know what I mean? This thing that's is like chess, and it's not, gonna be. Hang on, let me let me finish. Let me just say one more thing. I'm gonna let you guys talk, and I'm gonna get up. Let me just say one more thing. Both of you are right, but i got to tell you one thing. When we do go into those neighborhoods, which we really don't, but when we do, people know, they know deep down what you want from them. And if we're going in there for votes, they're going to know it. And that's not what we need to do. And I'm not saying that the Republican people and conservatives don't care because they do. I know they care. But it's just like a friend of mine told me to to my kids in youth group, they said, you're not going to appreciate anything in this country until you go out of this country and you see real poverty. And it's the same thing with the people in our party, too. They can say it over and over again, but it's just like Lenny said. But if, but if we're going in there for votes, if we're going in there for the wrong reason, people can detect it. We have to be compassionate. We have to care. But we also have to give them the tools to show them that they can prosper in this country. And that's what our party's about. And that's all I'm concerned about. And Pudgy, you're right. And on the local level, I have seen it and I know it, but it needs to spread out. You're right. I agree. Both of you. Well, well we, I appreciate, we appreciate your call. <laughs> and okay. I, what I, but what I wanted to say, Pudgy, in regards to what you were talking about is to say that we'll never see it in our lifetime. I, I bring this example up to people all the time. In 2003, who was the black president of the United States? Do you remember? Uh, Bill 2003. Clinton. No, Bill, in Bill 2000. Clinton. Well, in real life, but the one that we saw was Chris Rock from the movie Head of State, and his vice president was Bernie Mac. That was the closest thing that we saw to actually seeing a person with black or brown skin be the president in 2003. In 2008, I mean, that's how much of an of an anomaly of a, we'll never have it. It was. It was a comedian in a movie. Five years later, we had the first black president. So why – and that was supposed to be something that would never happen in America. So why are we so willing to give up on seeing the changes that we could see in our communities with how they vote, how they think, how they get results from the political system? Why can't we do that within 10 years? Why listen, can't we do that we within can't. a generation? It's not, it's not, you can't look at it – listen, hear me out first. You can't look at this thing and say it's going to happen overnight because it's not. Let's be realistic. This is a lifetime of teaching being taught all your life that these people are bad. Don't think that way. Don't live that way. Don't act that way. And all of a sudden, a few people come into your neighborhood. Hang on. A few people come into your neighborhood and go, hey, don't you know that this is wrong? Don't you know that what you believe is wrong? People aren't going to change like that overnight. It's just not going to happen. 
It's a lifetime Party. movement, Lenny. It's a lifetime Party. movement, and you Party. need to be That's dedicated. You need to be dedicated. Party. Listen, you need to be dedicated to being able and willing to do this all your life. If some people change overnight, so be it. I'm happy with it, and we keep moving on. It's not going to be something that you can address and give up and it be done with, and you got not got to do any more work. That's a lie. That's a false premise. We got to be ready to do work all our lifetime if we really believe in this. There will be some people that will change. There will be some people that we can reach, but we will not be able to change this thing for good once and for all in our lifetime. We got to prepare. We got to teach these kids to prepare, and we got to make more leaders. That's just a fact. All all I'm saying is, no, not everybody's going to flip overnight, but it doesn't have to be a lifetime of us trying to change these people before they change. That's, that's 60, 70 years. We're what I'm telling racism, you is – We're still fighting racism in some communities. Mean, what do you mean not a lifetime? It doesn't, listen, it does not mean that you cannot change the basic premise of how people think and interact and act based on our, our activism. In 2007, where was the majority of black Democrats voting? With Hillary Clinton or, or with Barack Obama? They don't even they know. Were voting, they were voting with Clinton. They didn't even know how to pronounce the guy's name in 2007. By 2008, you had all kind of black folks wearing Obama T-shirts. So what I'm saying to you is there is an opportunity to change the hearts and minds of people in these communities. Will it happen within 30 days? No, but it doesn't have to take 30 years either. That is what I'm saying. It can happen rather quickly if we have genuine movements, genuine advocates, and we give a persistent effort to it. It doesn't have to take 30 years and a lifetime of changing their minds. But we have I don't to believe it, Lenny. I don't, I don't believe well, it. As long as you have brother, ignorance brother, and evil around in the Democratic brother, Party, you're going to always have it, my brother. And we're going to I'm not saying, I'm, and we, we're gonna have to fight this thing all our life, man. It's not going to be an overnight or a 10-year process. You can forget about it. People brother, aren't even coming brother, into the neighborhoods, but every four brother, years after this. So a lot of these brother, people that live brother, in these communities don't see people, listen, but listen, every vote listen is to me. You listen, you listen, listen to me. You got people listen. out there who are representatives who don't even see that people that vote for them but every three to four years. So how are you going to tell me that people who, who really, a lot of people really don't give a damn, they just want to vote, are going to come into a neighborhood and fix what the underlying issue is, which is ignorance, in a matter of a short time? It's not going to happen. Brother, you love it. Brother, you're a Christian. You're a Christian, right? I'm a Christian, Christian and I'm dedicated right? to being this all oh, my life. That's okay. my point. I'll, I'll, I'm not. I'm not saying don't be dedicated your whole life. What I'm telling you is, love is from God, and with that love comes wisdom, comes the ability to connect with people, comes the ability to empathize with people, and comes the ability to wisely lead people. And Lady, with even, that, even that, God Almighty said and, people are going to fall short of the kingdom, brother. And even God with said that, people said, fall short of the and kingdom. with that, you ain't going to reach buddy, everybody. You ain't gonna change everybody. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't say change everybody. You're I not didn't say fix reach everybody. everybody. What I didn't say stick everybody. What Go I said educate. was, I didn't say educate either. What I said was, it doesn't have to take thirty and forty years to make the changes we need to see. It just doesn't. If you think about how Jim Crow racism and Jim Crow laws turned around in the South, do you realize that all those laws that Dr. King and them took? started going after, they were chipping away at them bit by bit, but the the big waterfall of change came within a very short period of time. The the waterfall of change came between the 50s 
in the 60s, that's only 20 years. Now, yes, they were chipping away at the laws throughout the beginning of the 20th century. There was activism since the days of slavery, but the big waterfall of change happened within a very short period of time in American history. And what I am challenging conservatives to understand is that the template is out there to do the same exact thing to bring urban conservatism to the forefront of American political power. That's all I'm saying. Brother, we still got people that we deal with, you and I, you and I, that we deal with on the intellectual level or whatever you want to call it, that barely want to listen to us. You still got people who are only looking at things in terms of votes. Now, spiritually, I hope and pray that you are right. I hope and pray that it doesn't take a lifetime to reach some of these folks, but I know better and I see better. I've seen Dr. A lot King of got hit upside the head with bricks, and Malcolm X was shot, and Megas Evers was shot, and they and got black rid of three. And black people killing each other, and they watched and, white and, people kill black people back then, and they still killing each other. And we and we and we have a black president, and we have black CEOs, and we have a certain amount of freedom that we did not have 60 years ago. My we point is, I'm not saying the struggle. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying the struggle will be gone, but those Jim Crow laws are gone. I could say that. I could say that we didn't have a whole lot of representation in Congress. We at least have it now. Now, does it need to be more balanced? Sure. Yes. Do we need more? Yes. But it's different than it was 60 years ago. Do we have colored water fountains now? No. Are we being resegregated? Yes, but that also implies that we went through a period of integration at some point in time. What I am challenging you, a brother that I love dearly, to try to accept into your heart and to your spirit is the fact that it does not have to take 40, 50 years to get the changes that we need because we are powerful children of God. And if we're walking with God's hand, no doubt why, about do we that. Have to take 50, why do we have to take 50 years to change when we've already seen things change in 10? No We're going to think change, things change in 15 years. I don't, I, don't disagree, I don't disagree with you there, Lenny. I, so I look at all, it like that's this, all, brother. That's all I'm saying. That's all look, I'm saying. Look at it like this, man. Nobody graduates college. No one would graduate college if you told them it'd take 25 years to graduate. Okay? I get it. I understand that. But I'm telling you, people will give up in the process if you look at this thing like it's going to take two years and it takes 10. You got people that have given up now. You got people that used no, to be in the party and, and, that used to rock with us that don't now because they're like, you know what? And, I'm frustrated with people that's on my team and people that don't want to listen. Every day I look at ignorant and comments to on my, social and media. To your point, to your point, you have to be dedicated for a lifetime, for a but lifetime. not. But you also have to understand and believe that God can work miracles through everything, Absolutely. and it doesn't have to take, and it doesn't have to take a lifetime. That's all. That's the point of my whole argument. You I'm can, you must have the dedication for a lifetime, but it doesn't have to take a lifetime. That's all I'm saying. Well, well, here's what I'm saying to anybody out there who's asking a question, and here's what I believe in my heart: are asking the question, how do we reach out to people who are too ignorant to even listen to us? An individual relationship. Screw what they're doing at the top, an individual relationship, and it must go on from there. Until you learn to open your mouth and interact with people on an everyday basis, you can forget about putting some leader, some empty soup coat in front of a stage, in front of a camera that's supposed to represent you because those folks will fail you too. I would much rather fail myself. That's how I feel about it. Well, I concur with you. I concur with you. Can we take one more phone call before I jump off the line? Yeah, let's get one more here, brother. Actually, though, those folks are. Hang on a second. We'll get one more. You on the air with Pudgy and Lenny? Who's this? 
Hello, you hit you on the air with Pudgy and Lenny. Who's this? Let me grab another Lenny. Hang on. How you doing? You rocking with Pudgy and Lenny? You on the air, the KIP Radio Show? Who's this? Okay, well, if you don't want to talk, you know, don't press the one button here. Just try to get another. <laughs> <laughs> I might have scared people off here, man. But you know what, brother, we gonna, we'll let you roll, man. If it's time for you to roll, we'll let you go. And we got to go to a, commercials that, a few commercials that I missed early on in the show. Um, definitely give you a shout-outs, man. And let us know real quick before you go, just for a second, let us know what went on at the RNC because there's a lot of people out there who don't know and uh, are only seeing things that are talking about in the media or only seeing things that are talked being talked about on the news. But let us know first person what you saw because I wasn't there. 30-second 30, 30 recap, pretty good speeches, Condi Rice, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie, and Romney. Um, okay speeches, disappointing speeches in some regards. I wanted Arthur Davis to say more. I wanted Mia Love to say more. Um, they had opportunities to speak to diversity like Susana Martinez did without just bashing the president and not really fulfilling the message and the opportunity that they had. I know people love their speeches, but I, I thought that they could have said more. I think they could have spoken to minorities directly at a at a at a stronger and deeper level than they did. Um, the Ron Paul protests were unfortunate, but not as many as one would think. It was unfortunate <laughs> the way they were locked out of the rules committee, but that goes back to That's the epitome of the it's the establishment Republicans versus the Tea Party. And nouveau activists, and until the establishment Republicans stop acting like Beltway, you know, puppies, and, and start incorporating a Big Ten philosophy, we're going to have hard times winning elections that we should win. Mitt Romney should be up by seven points at this point in time with this economy, instead of losing the bump by the time President Obama speaks on Thursday. So, long story short, um, good people at the convention. Good delegates at the convention, an increase in black delegates and minority delegates at the convention. But until the Republican Party and, and the powers that be at the highest levels of the party understand the value and the power within the diversity of the Republican Party and stop just highlighting one image of the Republican Party, the Republican Party is going to be handcuffed. And that's unfortunate for my party. But, you know, it will change sooner than later. It will change one day and pudgy, you know, people like you and me. And your listeners are the people that can help change the Republican Party, make it better, and make America stronger as a result. Absolutely, man. I, I hope and pray that's what we can do, and that's what we got to continue to do. Um, no, that's, what we, that's, what we, that's what we will do. Trust me. That's what we will do, and it will be sooner than later. Well, ten, just a 10-second answer. Uh, President Obama, Mitt Romney, who would you vote for and why? I wouldn't vote for President Obama. Um, I just wouldn't. I mean, the first executive order is paying for abortion services around the world. That's everything I needed to know. Wow. There it is, folks. Lenny McAllister. Check him out. He's all over the place, man. You can Google him, man. You can find him on Twitter, at Lenny McAllister. He's all over the KRP Radio website. We got him on there. We got him on Facebook. Look him up, folks. He is also on Facebook. Um, just put in the search Lenny McAllister, and you'll find him. Hit him up. Bring him on your show. Talk to him. Send him an email. Also, if you want to send me emails that we need to forward to Lenny or myself, hit us up at krpradio at gmail.com. Brother Lenny, any shout-outs before you go? 
Shouting out to Chicago. I love you, Chi-Town. Shouting out to my native Pittsburgh. Shouting out to D.C. Shouting out to the Cackalack. And, of course, shouting out to all the children of God. I love you. And please pray for me that I can serve you as a humble servant leader for many, many days for the rest of my life. I love you all, and I appreciate all the support that you all provide, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Budgie. God bless you all. Thanks, Lenny. God bless you, brother. Be safe. So that's Lenny McAllister, folks. Make sure you check him out, man. He's all over the place. He's doing a whole lot of things, CNN correspondent. He also has his own show, PolitiFacts365. You can also Google that, and I think it's PolitiFacts365.com. I'm not sure if we got that correct. We'll have it after this commercial break. You're rocking with the KRP Radio Show, baby, 619-638-8559, KRPRadioShow.com. We do it big. Over 5 million listeners, baby. We doing our thing out here, and we're definitely trying to make a difference in the community. I want to give a special shout-out to my folks over there at DanForest.com. All my folks out there with Women for Dan Forest. Laura, you in there? See, I shout you out. Don't forget. Also got to give a shout-out to all my listeners out there, all my Twitter followers, all my Facebook followers. If you want to hit us up on Facebook, it's Facebook.com backslash KRP Radio Show. Also, we're on iTunes for all you iPhone um, users out there and all you iTunes listeners and all this, that, and the other. Hit us up on iTunes, and you'll get to listen to all the old broadcasts, and you can listen to the current broadcast. And just look for us on iTunes podcast, three keywords, K-I-R-P, radio, and show. Again, that's, that's iTunes podcast. KRP Radio and Show, three words. Hit us up on there. We got a lot of things going on. You can find us all over the place. If you ever want to listen to the show on the phone, 619-638-8559, you can hear the show. And we're also on Blog Talk Radio. That's www.blogtalkradio.com backslash KRP Radio Show. You're rocking with the KRP Radio Show and Pudgy. I'll be right back after these commercials to folks, and we're going to wrap up the show. Rock with me. I'll be right back. The number one online music tournament encompasses seven different genres, including hip-hop, R&B, country, reggae, reggaeton, pop, rock, and gospel. Music artists, log on to soundchew.com to compete for a chance to have exclusive access to music listeners across the globe. Build relationships with other music artists and music professionals, plus maximize your exposure and gain worldwide attention. Music listeners, log on now to enjoy new music from up-and-coming artists, then... Vote for the songs you like best to ensure that your favorite artist wins. Also, check out the latest in music news. Music execs and producers, 
scout music talent to find your next big star. Musicians and voters, sign up for Soundchew today. That's www.soundchew.com. S-O-U-N-D-C-H-E-W. Once again, that's www.soundchew.com. The number one online music tournament. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Wee! Wee, wee, wee! 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 Across America, the NFL and United Way are inspiring kids to get healthy and more active. Join the Play 60 movement. Pledge to Play 60 today at liveunited.org. For all your trucking needs, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC. That's Allen's Trucking LLC, owner Brian Allen and BA Welding Incorporated. For all your trucking or your welding needs or transportation needs across the country, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Their number is 919-426-5455. Again, 919-426-5455. If you have transportation needs and you need to get your equipment there on time, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC. K I R P Radio. You know who it is without a doubt and hesitation. If money talks, I got my masters in communication. But I don't run it, I run it for a hundred. Ever since I was a young and been hungry, it's called bunion. You've been so fixed to plumbing. I'm a beast in the game, you run it. And if this ain't what you call hip hop, it must be bungee jumping. East side on my arm, three stripes on my sneakers. And even if they slip us, they better be Adidas. I believe you can tell a lot about our governor and lieutenant governor by the way they lead our state. We have great challenges facing us and need strong, courageous, visionary leadership to see us through. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina Lieutenant Governor. As an architect, senior partner, and office president of the state's largest design firm, I was accustomed to solving complex problems for my clients. Architects are creative problem solvers, and that's what we need more of in Raleigh. And we need more business leaders, not more politicians. Over the past 10 months, I've visited the majority of the counties in North Carolina multiple times, traveled over 80,000 miles, listened to thousands of North Carolinians share their solutions to the challenges we face. Did you know North Carolina ranks 41st in the nation in K-12 education, 36th in graduation rate, 43rd in unemployment, 38th in business tax climate, 42nd in illegal immigration? This is just not acceptable. I believe it's time to look at the failed policies of our current governor and lieutenant governor and demand real leadership for North Carolina. As your next lieutenant governor, I will tackle these issues head on and provide the strong, courageous, and visionary leadership needed to lead our state through these challenging times. Over the next few months, 
I'll be sharing solutions to these challenges, and I hope you will take the time to share them with your friends and family and give me your feedback. I believe we can turn America around, and I believe we should start right here in North Carolina. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina Lieutenant Governor, and I ask for your support. to the KIRP radio show. Ah, it's been a wonderful evening, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, what myself and, and uh, what my brother Lenny McAllister brought to this KRP radio show this evening. We uh, It's not a joke, folks. It's not a game. That's the best I could tell you. Um, that's the only way I can put it out there for you guys to understand. That's the only thing I know to say. It is not a joke. And uh, this this is a real mission. This is a truth mission. This is a God's mission. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very passionate about the things that we talk about and the things that we do. It's just very passionate. You know, there there there's a lot at stake um, that a lot of people just don't see. So, you know, at any given time, I'll go off on a tangent. You know, it is what it is. That's just how I feel about it. I'm like, I'm that way for God. So I'm that way for people. I'm that way for God's people. And, uh, Sometimes it's offensive, sometimes it's not. But at least the dialogue was with my brother and, uh, you know, my brother Lenny, somebody who's close and endeared to me. So you can imagine how it would be to somebody who's not. Um, if you ask me, there's no room for games. There's no time for playing around. There's no time for uh, uh, acting as if you really care or, or portraying something that you're not. You know what I mean? This is This is very serious, what we're dealing with. It's more deeper than a race. It's more deeper than a complexion. It's more deeper than the skin tone. It's deeper than the fiscal policy or, or really a social policy. Um, this is about life and death. This is about good and evil, simply. Now, all, some of those things do fall underneath that, and that's just fine. It is what it is. But this is about life and death, and this is a life movement that we're moving along, that we're with. And, uh, you know, it, it's just not a game. Um, there are a lot of ignorance out here. I know you guys saw me go on tangent on, on Facebook today uh, with the little speech that I, that I wrote. On the fly, I might have you. It's nothing that I plan to write. You know, sometimes things are on my mind, and, and that's just what I need to do uh, to get it off my mind. So face, Facebook and Twitter and all these other social sites and the social media and even this show, this is my life's blog. This is my contribution, if you will. This is my way to get it out, and uh, this is how I get it off my chest. And frankly, this is what's keeping me alive. If I had all this stuff bottled up, I, I couldn't tell you how it would feel or how, how it would affect me. Um, I just don't know. But, you know, I, I definitely want you guys to know that it's not a game. It's not something that I play with. It's not something that I take lightly. Um, I really do believe and I really see and I really read and pay attention to some of the things that are challenging the way we live and, and the way we worship and, uh, you know, just the way we go about our daily lives, our freedom, excuse me, our lives and our freedom. 
um, there are a lot of things that challenges that, and, and, and a lot of those things people aren't paying attention to. So I feel like it's my job to talk about these things and expose them and to go into deeper conversation and have a deeper narrative about it than what you see on just the regular nightly news. Um, the news is a business. And in large part, they're controlled by media, the liberal media. Let's just call it what it is. I, I hate to even go there with liberal and conservative and this, that, and the other. But sometimes, you know, you just got to put it out there for where it is and how it lays. And, and, you know, it just reads the way it reads. But, you know, the news is in the bigger business. And in, in large portion, their job is just to keep you coming back, listening to them. And they cater to people. I'm not catering to anybody on KRP. We're not a catering type of people. That's why we can't get some people on this show because, you know, I'm just not in it for games. I mean, it's life and death. It's serious. So, you know, with all that said, some shows you might, you know, we might laugh and have a good time and that's okay. Some shows we might, you know, wipe our eyes and tear up and cry, you know, and that's okay too because, you know, on KRP, this is life. This is not a game. This is life, and this is something that we all have to have to uh, deal with, the things that entail our lives, the things that happens in our lives. And when we talk about it, sometimes they go over smoothly, and sometimes they don't. So shout-out to all you guys out there who rocking with me, man. Shout-out to all you guys who put this information out there. Folks, I just want you guys to be informed, and I want you to pay more attention than you normally pay. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I know there's some people out there who pay more attention to me who are more on it than I am. Because people are going to criticize you no matter what. You don't have to write anything on the blog. You don't even have to be a member on the blog or any social media at all. People are still going to look at you and say what they think about you without even opening their mouth and talking to you. So I challenge you guys, like I do on every single show, I challenge you guys to open your mouths, start talking to people, start saying hello, how are you, and maybe that will open the doors to more of a, a, a more deeper dialect, and a, a more deeper conversation and you can converse about things that really matter other than how's your day going and is that cup of coffee good you know don't allow people to walk by you when you sometimes you're holding a word for people and you don't even realize that you're holding that word for people open your mouth that's what it's for you know if your intentions is not to harm people and your your intentions are goodwill open your mouth and put that information out there to people man sometimes god is going to use you for things that you're not even ready for it's just going to come out and it's just going to flow so open your mouth and start speaking to people and, and, and express some of that love that you have you know if you're that type of person if you're a godly person open you know interact with people don't be afraid to interact with people god got this all you got to do is do your part you don't have to sit back and wait on god to do every little thing for you he's done his part Allow yourself to be used, folks, and you won't be used until you open your mouth and start interacting with people. You won't be used until you stop being scared and you stop being a punk. You know, stop being a punk and stop being scared, afraid to talk about what you really believe and how you feel. Sometimes sometimes it is emotional. I get that. But back that up with some knowledge. You know, read a, read a couple books or something. Read and understand what's going on despite what you think might be happening, despite what the news is telling you. Pick up a book and read it for yourselves. Like I said earlier in the show, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I don't back down behind. I don't, not even to my friends, not even to people that I deal with. I think that it's going to take a lifetime to change a lifelong process of indoctrination. That's no good. That's not something that you're going to change overnight. Now, if it, if it happens, if you happen to change some folks for the better, and you happen to help people get along and and bring them along, because trust you and me, I I wasn't like this always. 
You know, I had to be brought along by somebody too. I had to be enlightened as well. But in order to enlighten some, somebody first, you have to be enlightened yourself. So you got to know why you're doing what you're doing and you got to believe that what you're doing is right. And you got to be willing to do this for a lifetime. That's just part of it, folks. You don't jump into God and jump out of God. You either for him or you're against him and not for a small amount of time. That's frankly what I believe. Somewhere out there is a person who has no idea about what's really going on, and they're waiting to be enlightened, and that is our new leader. You can forget about the Jesse Jacksons and all those guys. They, to me, personally, they aren't relevant anymore. I don't need them to lead anybody. There's a time and a place for them, for what they do, and that's fine, but it is not for me and this movement that I'm running, that, I, that I'm running with. That's just reality in my world. That's just the truth to me. Somewhere out there is that new person. Somewhere out there is that group of people that we can talk to, that group of people that we interact with who has no clue or no idea what they really, excuse me, what they really believe, but they find something strange about what the media is talking about. They find something strange about that nonsense that Jesse Jackson now Sharpton is talking about. They find something strange about the blind the blind fallership of someone like the president of, of Obama, the president of the United States, period, no matter who he is or she is. So anyway, shout out to all my listeners out there, man. You guys are B.I.G. in my book. That's my time. I am out of here. I will catch you guys next week, same time, same place. While we do what we do, remember this. God is love. Love is God. And don't give up on nobody. There's always hope. And uh, the battle is not yours to fight in the first place. But we're going to fight it while we're here. Y'all take care.
real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real, real. Phony gon' recognize, still, still. I reckon I will. Like we always do with this time. 